Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> the man whose three inspired the Curry family. I don't exaggerate. I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Goes airborne. Welcome into this week's edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith, your host here in Atlanta. Got a great show lined up for you today. Going to talk to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Tim Hardaway, the, the author of the Killer Crossover. Going to visit with him, reflect on a few things about his career, talk about the current state of the NBA. Uh, his son, obviously, playing in the league as well. We're also going to talk to my main man, John Schumann. NBA power rankings are out. I'm going to dissect his rankings and ask him why we, he's got certain teams where they are seated in the power rankings. We'll do all that and more coming up on the Hangtime Podcast. But first off, let's get into it with our guest, Tim Hardaway. Tim, when I talk about your crossover, yours was different because yours was in motion. Can you talk about the setup first of you coming so hard left or right and then the crossover? Well, you know, in Chicago, I was tall, um, coming down the court, um, full speed. Um, then you had to slow down and chop, chop, chop your steps and be under control to do a move like that. Uh, you know, I come down and I, you know, I never set nobody up. I used to come down the court and I used to say, look, I'm going to do an in and out behind the back move on this guy and see how that works. Well, I'm going to do an in and out crossover and see how that go work and go left, see if he bites on it. Um, that's what I used to do in, in, in college and in pro-am. And, um, you know, it just worked for me. And then I, you know, got into the NBA. You know, you, you got to have various moves because everybody starts looking at your moves and trying to figure it out and trying to see when you're going to do it, when you're going to hesitate. But I just came down and just did it, you know, at full speed. So you didn't know when I was going to do it. You just knew that it was going to come, but you just didn't know when it was going to come. Um, that's the way we, we learned in Chicago how to just come down the court and make a play full speed under control and, um, and you know, make a basket or make a play for your teammates. That, that's what it was all about. Perfect timing to have this guy on the podcast. Tim Hardaway, seeing you hear him there on the list on NBA TV. Tim, I, Chicago basketball was on my mind thinking about what Anthony Davis had to say, being back home playing the Bulls last night, and also you being on the list earlier this week. What, what is the state of Chicago hoops right now when you hear AD talking about his hometown like that? Man, I'm so happy that he said that. Um, you know, I, I you know I, I like I love Brian Windhorst. I love what he does for the ESPN. You know, he's a great reporter and everything like that. But you know, you never been to Chicago. You never seen the mecca of Chicago basketball. And when he said that, when, when Anthony Davis said that, I've been thinking I've been thinking like that my whole career since I've been in high school. You know, what makes, you know, uh, everybody say New York is the mecca? What makes everybody say somewhere else, else is the mecca? You know, we had a lot of great basketball players come out of Chicago. You know, Cassie Russell, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, Terry Cummins. You know, the list go on and on and on. And, uh, you know, I think we, we, we are the mecca of basketball, of greatness, and, and it's proven how we uh, come to the league and, and our play show. So when he said that, um, I was so happy, and uh, you know, and, and that he said that. And, you know, it, I think everybody from Chicago that played in the NBA uh, understands what he's talking about. And, and we are probably the mecca of basketball. I think we are the mecca of basketball in the NBA, no question. Yeah, that, that fraternity we hear 
we see the love Isaiah gives Derrick Rose and, and all the lineage of players that have come through the city. Is, is that a pride thing once you get to the league? Guys always ref- – I know in recent years we've had guys going back and playing in their hometowns. But is that something that's always been there, that representing where you're from when you're in the league going back to your playing days? No question. No question. That's a pride thing. You know, when you're in the NBA, you come back, you uh, you see all the guys that have been in the NBA before you, you see the guys, the young guys that are, are making their way into the NBA after you. And, uh, you know, every time you see somebody like Patrick Beverly come in and play as hard as he played, uh, Nunley from um, that's at um, um, with the with the uh, with the Heat, man. You know he's he's a Chicago product. And only thing only thing we do, we go out there and we prove ourselves day in and day out to show people that we are, uh, you know, mecca of basketball. And that's what we do. You know, Derrick Rose. Look at Derrick Rose. He's coming back. He's put everything behind him. He's coming back playing very well. You know, Patrick Beverly, he's, 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 you know, he's just a proven basketball player. He just love. he's a gym rat. He just love to work out. He just love to grind, grind, grind. Nunley, he's just another grinder out there. And he's with the perfect system with the Miami Heat. You know, everybody say that Zoe uh, uh, is, is the reason why the Miami Heat is the, the culture and everything. It's not because of Zoe. It's because of Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Mourning, P.J. Brown, Ike Austin, Jamal Bassberg, Sean Leonard, uh, Dan Marley. We started, all of us started that culture, and all of us uh, knew what it took to win, and we believed in Pat Rowley because he was a great coach and he was a great innovator. And when they say that Alonzo Mourning started this culture, no, really, it was really Keith Askins that started the culture, and we followed them. So that's, that's how it built up to be the way it is today. Yeah. Do you, you you look around the league now, and, and you need distance a lot of times on a career to to evaluate maybe how it's evolved and how it's changed through the course of time. What, what's the biggest difference you think in the league now compared to when you played? Is it is it the style? You know, the the pace and the space, or is there something else that's different in this era about the league than than what it was when you played? Well, you know, the rules are different. You know, the, the the rules was totally different when we played. Uh, it was zone defense. You couldn't – you had to be above the free throw line. You couldn't step below the free throw line if your man was above three-point line. Um, it's, it's a lot of variables in the game uh, today that wasn't in the game then. You know, you could play zone. You could actually play a zone in the NBA today. Back then, you couldn't play a zone in the NBA. You had to be arm length to your guy, or you had to go and double-team the guy that had the ball. You couldn't go double-team a guy that didn't have the ball. You had to double-team the guy that had the ball, or it was called illegal defense. And the game just spread out. I mean, it spread out. It's, um, you know, it's more about analytics now, and I, and I agree with Isaiah now. You know, a lot of guys are, are throwing the analytics away, and they're saying, look, I just got to go out here and play basketball. I just got to go, go out here and make shots. Forget about the three ball. Forget about layups. If I get an open space right here in this pocket for the 15-foot of mid-range, I'm shooting that. My percentage is going to be high. You can sc- be, Believe me, before all the analytics came out, uh, and three-pointers, people shooting 30, 40, 50, 60 three-pointers a game, it was called a game of short range. And there's a lot of people that made 50, 30, you know, 25 points a game just shooting mid-range jump shots, you know, uh, a la Bernard King, you know, a la Carl Malone, <laughs> you know, a la Adrian Danley. You know, so uh, even even Michael Jordan, then he had to expand his to three-point land, but he really wasn't shooting threes. So, you know, it, it, the analytics are the analytics, but you still got to go out there and play basketball, and you got to go out there and play the right way, and you got to know how to feel for the game. And if you go in there and shoot the shot that you're supposed to shoot uh, and make those shots, you can win games shooting mid-range, mid-range jump shots. And, and, I, and I totally, totally believe that. And that's where the game, I think, is coming back around now and people starting to realize 
you just got to play the game. Forget about threes. Forget about, you know, layups. Let's just play the game and let's make shots where the shots present itself. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, the way the analytics have adjusted the game. You you and Isaiah and, and certainly other players from Chicago, there's kind of this lineage of guard play being grimy on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, that goes back from – the historical perspective to, to today's Chicago guards. You know, you got you mentioned Patrick Beverly representing for Chicago, and everybody talks about him picking up, you know, 94 feet and the way he guards, the way he defends. What is it about Chicago basketball, be it at the high school level, at the park, um, at the rec centers? What is it about that style that, that makes it so specific to Chicago? You know, it's all the uh, – I wouldn't call it hating – I would call it like it's a lot of constructive criticism and a lot of uh, smack talking and saying that, <laughs> you know, you got to come out here and prove yourself. You got to come out here and prove that you worthy with playing with us. You know, when I say that you got to come out here and, 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 and play with a lot of confidence. You can't bag down. You got to make the tough pass. You can't call fouls. You got to, you got to fight through plays. You got to fight through plays and fouling to make a play for your teammates for the game winning shot. You know, you, you got to play strong and, and, and being little, um, it's a lot of doubters out there. You know, you little, you, you can't, you can't get to the rim. You're not going to be able to shoot over people. Uh, you got to move your feet. You can't, you can't pick up people 94 feet. You always got to prove people wrong in Chicago. And that's what builds your confidence level up. When you started, when you start build, showing people that you can do what they say that you can't do, then your confidence start building up and you saying, you know what? I can do everything that they saying I can't do and even more. And I'm going to take my game to another level by shooting the ball and making plays at the rim and giving my team confidence each and every day to go out there and win. And, you know, that, that's where the uh, confidence comes from in Chicago. You know, it's, um, you know, we, it used to be uh, people hating on people or telling or, or bashing them down, but we used to take that criticism and show that we was better than that and show people that we was tougher than that and show people that we can do what they say that we can do and, and take that and take it to the next level too. Yeah. This, I know that, you know, you, you, you had the crossover dribble as a signature part of your game. And I'll be honest, I don't remember if, if people were, if there was a crossover dribble in the game before that, I, that's the first time I ever consciously remember hearing about it, seeing it, realizing that that was a you know that that was going to be a component of people's games. Now it's become this thing where it's a flash dribble, like people do it for flashy purposes. But when you started doing it, was that the mechanism to to be the defender? It wasn't about that flashy and one mixtape stuff, but more about hey, this is my way of breaking my defender down and getting to my spots. Yes, you know it is it, it, when we. In Chicago, it's all about in the box, you know, straight line to the basket, um, um, not, you know, deterring and trying to go wide. Because if you go straight line to the basket, you got to understand that, that, that you go through two or three people and make a play. Um, when, when, when I did the move, it was getting to the basket. It wasn't, I think, if you dribble, 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 and you try to shake, 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 that brings out too much energy. I, I, I didn't like to bring out too much energy. I didn't like to waste too much energy. I, I'm, I, I like to, to have that energy for another burst of speed somewhere else. But you dribble, you fake this guy, you cross him over, and then you bring it back for another crossover. That's too much energy being wasted. And I, and I wasn't a guy, type of guy that wanted to waste energy. I just come down and I'm going to do a move on you, in and out crossover or between the legs crossover, uh, whatever crossover that I may use to get open, to get free, to make a play. That was, that I was going to use that in my repertoire. And, um, you know, today's guys, I think some guys, they over dribble. You know, they do over dribble. Yeah. And, you know, I think that they have a straight line to the rim at times, but they bring it back because it's about the analytics. You know, they want to make sure they get all the way to the rim or they want to make sure they shoot a three. 
you know, we should we should do a crossover and stop and pop at the free throw line or the elbow or the mid range jump shot. You know, whatever whatever was free because back then, you know, you had seven footers and 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 a flagrant foul. Now you get kicked out. It used to be flagrant fouls all the time <laughs> in the nineties, <laughs> and it was just a regular common yeah. foul if if they called that a foul. So. You right, know, we, right. we, we understood where to stop and pop. We understood the angles. We understood when we was free, that was the, our time to shoot that little pocket jump shot and make that jump shot. Yeah. It's it's weird, too. You know, you start looking at a, at a guy's career, and, and I know the further you get away from the days you played to when you're looking at it retroactively, you say, all right, where do I fit in the game? Where Where's my place in the game? I'm gonna be honest with you. I I I'd assumed you were in the Hall of Fame without even really thinking about it and looking hard at it. Five time All Star, five times All NBA, gold medal Sydney Olympics. If somebody just held that up to me, I would assume that player was already in the Hall of Fame. Um, do Do you look at it now with a son in the league? You know, years removed from playing. Do you look at it now and wonder? What what is what's the evaluation of your place in the game and where you fit? Well, I fit right up there with the you know the greats. I think uh, I'm you know I'm not gonna hold my tongue. I fit right up there with the greats. You know I didn't done a lot for this game. Um, you know I helped this game grow just like I think all the other ball players and all the other Hall of Famers and the players today uh, helping this game grow and. Um, um, you know, and, and it just it's just satisfactory that my son is in in the NBA and loving basketball the way I love basketball and and I, and I love watching him play. And um, it's just gratifying to see him out there uh, doing uh, what he loved to do, doing what I love to do, and 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 I was doing what my dad loved to do and uh, go out there and play and compete. And have fun, and and you know, and just um, um, go out there and just 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 do what it's supposed to take for you to win games for your team. That what that's all. That's what it's all about. And and, and talking smack a little bit, like you know, like you can never <laughs> beat us, you know, or or you know, y'all having a rough day today, you know, you know, we taking on, we 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 done beat all y'all. What team y'all gonna get now to beat us, you know, and stuff like that. So it's um. It's just gratifying, and um, you know, I just leave that other stuff, the Hall of Fame, and all that stuff to them people that you know that that does it. I don't have no um, uh, no inclination of who does it. I don't know who does it or when it's gonna happen or whatever. But you know what? You know, the gratification is you know when people talk to you and 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 and, and say you know. Uh, you was a bad man. You did a lot for this game. I love your crossover. I tried your crossover. You know, the crossover never did me well, but I used to try it. You know, you brought an innovation to the game. And, you know, the the thing is, is when you go to um, the uh, pre-draft camp in Chicago, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, they say, all right, now we're going to do the crossover. All right. They there doing my crossover at the pre-draft camp, you know, and, that, and that's – um. That that's what's gratifying right there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You, when you look back at at your career, when, when were you having the most fun just playing the game? Everything else aside, whatever off the court is off the court. But just when did you feel like you were at your best and having your most fun during your career? I'm gonna tell you this, man. I had the best of both worlds. All right, I played with Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond for Don Nelson, Ron TMC in the early 90s, uh, 89, 90, 91, 92. We just wasn't together long enough. And, uh, man, that, that, that was one of the best two and a half years that I ever had planned, you know, at, at that particular time. And then when I got traded to Miami Heat, uh, February 95, um, I was um, – my first game was against Philadelphia 76ers. And at at that time, I wasn't getting that much run uh, with the Warriors, and I was uh, uh, not in really good shape. 
So my first inclination was, man, I got to run up and down and chase Allen Iverson, man. I'm going to be <laughs> dog-tired after the game. But, you know, at, when, I, when, I, when I went there and started playing for Pat Riley and had a teammate like Alonzo Mourning and, and what we did there, because we was, we was like, like uh, 15 games out of eight spot, all right? When he traded for us, the Heat, Heat was out of was out 15 games out of eight spot, and, and Pat Riley's mm-hmm. uh, consecutive years of going to the playoffs was in jeopardy. And when he traded for Gatlin, myself, Walt Williams, and a couple other guys, and we got there, um, and the way we played and how we played, man, we had so much fun. Even though we practiced and, and did what we needed doing practice. Man, we from '95 to 2001 with Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. That was another best six years of my career where I I just had fun and it was intense each and every day and it was preparedness each and every day and it was all about business and that's what I love about the Miami Heat way. It's all about business. You got to be prepared and if you love to play, if you love to play, you're gonna excel. If you don't love to play, that's not a place where you need to go. If you want a country club, go somewhere else. But it's all about business <laughs> with Pat Riley and the Miami Heat, and I love that each and every day, and that's why we excel. So I, um, uh, I still miss those days today because we had a lot of fun. That group had a lot of fun, and we was, we, uh, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't make it to where we wanted to make it to, but you know, we started that culture the way it is today. Yeah, no question. Do you, what's the most difficult part that you see now about the game in terms of the wisdom you share with younger players? Like like we talked about, you got a son in the league. He had to he had to come to you at some point. You know what I mean to to glean some of the wisdom that you provided. But what's the most difficult part about it? You think now for young players, everybody's got a trainer now. Everybody's got a you know a skills coach that works with them from the time they're eight years old all the way up. Like. What part of the basketball infrastructure you think is most challenging for young players now? Mental preparedness. Mental preparedness. You know, we 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 had a mental uh, type of way about us that we mentally prepared for games. Uh, we understood what to take away from ball players. We understood what ball players like to do, what ball players didn't like to do. We understood, you know, uh, what we need to do as a team to stop a team at this particular time of the game and what they wanted to run. And we understood when to tighten up the clamps on defense and and make a push to win a basketball game. So I think it's mental preparedness. And 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 guys are are, are you know they they not uh, mentally engaged in games at times. You know they they looking all over the place. That's why sometimes at timeouts after timeouts, guys don't know what they running because they not looking at what the coach is real is writing. So uh, is diagramming for that play for that out, out of bounds play. So so that's why coaches be upset. So it's all about mentally being prepared, going out there, uh, uh, prepare. I mean, and, and mentally knowing how to stroke that ball too. A lot of guys are not locked in to the game and not locked in to shooting and, and locked in to making shots. You, that, that I think that's what the game is missing today. And and and, and said it. The Chicago Bulls said it. The coach said it. He said, you know, our guys are not mentally prepared. Our guys are not mentally into the game. They physically into the game, but mentally they got to get into the game to put us over that hump. Last night was a good test for them against the L.A. Lakers, but they didn't finish it. Now they got to understand how to finish the mental part, the mental toughness of winning games. So, Tim, I'm, I, I know everybody talks about you know, and I hear this all the time, you know, watching games, hearing other analysts talk about it. That's, you know, we go, well, who's, you know, who's got the best handle game? Well, Kyrie is the best I've seen ever, the best of all time. And I always say to myself, man, we got to have a longer memory 
when we evaluate this league. We can't be such prisoners of the moment. Um, and I think about ball handlers over the course of generations where you, a dynamic dribble wasn't as big a deal maybe in the 1950s as it was as the game has evolved. I know you have uh, the dream dribble that that you've you know you got going on. So talk to me a little bit about that and, and what the genesis of that was. Well, um, these guys came to me about a year ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, and they, they were saying, you know, uh, we want to talk to you about something. I said, you know, uh, what is it you want to talk to me about? And they showed it to me. And the first thing I thought about was, man, this would be great for kids in the house. You know, kids, they always on their computer or on their phone or on uh, iBox or Xbox or whatever. And they need to be <laughs> working on their fundamentals. Fundamentals of basketball is knowing how to dribble the correct way and, and having confidence that the ball is going to come up to you, come back to you. Uh, you know, you could dribble short, you could dribble high, you could dribble medium. Uh, but you got to understand that the ball is going to come back to you, and these kids uh, are not getting enough repetition. All right, you go to camps, okay? You have a, a camp here, but every time you go to a camp, it's 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, then you got to move on to another station. Then it's, you got to move on to another station. Then you got to move on to another station. It's a lot of the kids that need more time with dribbling, like they need more time with shooting, like they need more time with uh, layups, left hand and right hand layups. So um, the device is a is a is a dream silencer by Dream Dribble. It's a it, it doesn't make any noise at home. It, it, it's on like a um, it's not on carpet. It's like uh, dribbling uh, on a trampoline. Okay, and mm-hmm. it makes you uh, uh, dribble the ball with muscle memory. Makes you dribble the ball. Uh, understanding how to uh, uh, with repetition with the right hand or the and the left hand back and forth two ball dribbling and you can do it in the house because it's about to be winter time and a lot of these kids after they come from you know working out or practicing they want to practice some more they want to work on their handle some more so when you're watching NBA basketball if you're watching college basketball you bring this device out from up under your bed, okay, unfold it from up under your bed or out of your closet and just start dribbling on it and start working on your repetition, muscle memory, and your moves, in and out moves, uh, crossover moves, behind the back, between the legs, uh, and two ball dribbling. It's a lot of ways because just think, a lot of these kids start dribbling the ball without moving up and back, up and back, up and back. So this is a great way to help them get their repetition of dribbling the ball and understanding how to, uh, you know, with their muscle memory and dribbling the basketball. So I I think it's a great idea, and all kids should have it at home and just working on their dribbling skills. Yeah, I, I, I think it's such a different era now, you know, where, where kids aren't playing outside at the, at the park in the way that they used to, but they're doing a lot more controlled basketball training stuff. That's more specific. And, right. uh, and you're right. That's probably something that that's gotta be a focus for a lot of these young kids playing, man. It's, it's good to talk to you, man. And, and just hear, um, you know, not only what you got going on now, but your perspective on, on the league and, and your career as well, man. And I, I'm again, I'm scratching my head here thinking, how's this guy not in the hall of fame? We're going to have another conversation about that when it comes up, you know, <laughs> when you do get in there and, and we get to that moment in Springfield. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, like I said, I got a lot of great insight on this game and, uh, I know the game in and out and I help a lot of kids, you know, and trying to understand, you know, what, what they supposed to do and how they supposed to do it in this game. So, uh, I'm always glad to talk about it. Thanks for having me on though. No doubt, Tim. Appreciate you, man. Take care. Oh, you too. You got to love talking to a legend of the game like Tim Hardaway. Always interesting, the perspective, the conversation. Appreciate him uh, taking his time. Now to uh, my favorite cat on the planet, John Schumann, NBA.com, the the master of power rankings. Um, My favorite Twitter clapback person 
on planet Earth. Shu, what's up, man? Well, what is happening? Oh man, late nights. Um, watching games, and we're back in the in the thick of it, man. And I'm I'm back in the thick of the power rankings every Monday, diving in, checking out your work. I know how hard you grind on this thing and how much you put into it. I got to give you some love. The the Lakers climbed up to number three this week. Um, not surprising. Dwight Howard playing out of his mind. What like what's is this real? This is this is real. What we're seeing from the Lakers. You know what? You gotta like that it's been starting on the defensive end because you figure like the offense will come eventually, um, especially with Kuzma just getting back and and you know coming off the bench and and not necessarily playing alongside LeBron uh, very much just yet. But the fact that they're they're winning with defense, you know, uh, number one uh, defense in the league. Um, through uh, until last night, I think they're number two right now after the uh, after the comeback win in Chicago. Um, but the fact that they're winning with defense, they're playing big. I mean, that's the biggest surprise to me. Is that you know you'd figure we all thought you know Anthony Davis at center, is going to have to play center, right? Especially down the stretch of close games. But it, shoot, they had two close games in Texas over the weekend. And down the stretch, it was LeBron at the three, Anthony Davis at the four, and Dwight Howard, of all people, at the five. And it was working, you know. (laughs) And their defensive numbers have been fantastic with Davis and Howard on the floor together. And it makes up sort of for them being um, a little bit mediocre offensively. I I know a couple years ago we were all convinced that the the big man was, you know, going away at a dinosaur. It just would not be a place for a traditional low post center in the NBA, but is Dwight kind of dispelling that notion that, that you can still play that role? Maybe not a 35 minute a night guy playing that spot, but certainly an impact role on a team as a traditional rim protecting rim rolling big man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think definitely not for um, as many minutes as he dominated um, back in the, you know, uh, the good years with Orlando, and and even you can't just play big that that much I don't think especially when it comes to the playoffs and there's a um, you know and non shooters get ignored and you got to worry about spacing a little bit more um, but the most important shots in the game are still those at the basket you know the the most efficient way to score is at the basket and at the line um, and if you've got and size matters in that regard you know if you've got big guys that can protect the paint um, defensively. Um, I mean, teams are shooting, you know, less than 50% uh, in the paint when Davis and Howard are on the floor together, and that's huge. Um, That makes a huge difference. And then it helps on the glass, you know, obviously both ends of the floor, uh, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, um, and, you know, extra possessions like that are are so critical. And and so, yes, you can – there are – you can win – certain games and certain portions of games playing big. Um, you know, some opponents I think are going to give them trouble if they're playing big, you know, faster um, teams that maybe play five out. You know, I think that's why Chicago gave them a little bit of trouble, uh, obviously through the first three quarters uh, on Tuesday. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's a place for size, I think, still in this league. It's not, it doesn't have as big of a place as it did five, ten years ago, but um, it still has a place. Yeah. You, uh, for as much love as I give you for for shining that light on the Lakers going into this week, wh- what's your problem with the Phoenix Suns? Like, why, why can Devin, Book- Devin Booker and his crew not get more love in power rankings? I oh, think they, they should be they, higher than 12. They continue to move up. Like, you know, the, obviously uh, they had yet to uh, beat the Sixers when I when Monday's ranking right, uh, right. came out. And basically, you know, they had uh, a win over the Clippers, which is obviously a good one. But then their other wins were over uh, Sacramento, Golden State, and Memphis, who are basically three of the five worst teams in the league so far. Um, and so, you know, quality wins matter. Uh, road wins matter. Uh, but obviously the, the Philly win is huge. Um, you know, you've got to love uh, the toughness that guys like Baines and uh, Javon Carter have added uh, to this team, the competence that the guys that they've added uh, provide, you know, just to have a 
a more competent and experienced rotation matters quite a bit. Obviously, uh, Monty Williams deserves a lot of credit. And then Devin Booker is still doing his thing. I think, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of debate about him in previous years about, you know, if he's just empty stats or, or, or whatever it is for me, um, you know, I don't look at, you know, whether his team is winning as much. Maybe like when you look at a score like that, you want it, you care about efficiency. Um, and so far his efficiency is up quite a bit, um, this season, even though he's not getting to the line. It's interesting. I, I, I was looking a little bit closer at him this morning. Um, he's not getting to the line as much as he has in the past, but he is shooting in the paint more and he's shooting better in the paint. Like more than half of his field goal attempts um, have come in the paint, which is a little bit surprising when you think of, of, of Devin Booker. Um, so he is getting to the basket more than he has in the past. Um, his three point numbers are a little bit um uh, unsustainable, but uh, so far so good. And and Phoenix is legit. Like I mean, uh, I, I mean there are teams that have gone off to three uh, like starts of good starts of three weeks. You know, around this range. You know, we saw uh, even Memphis last year was off to a good start, and then they were, or maybe it was two years ago. We're off to a really good start, and they just sort of fell apart. Yeah, uh, the Kings uh, were at, at sort of at this state, same sort of stage uh, at this time last year. Um, but you know, every, with every passing game and every quality win, they look more and more legit. And even if they are last year's Kings, right? Like that, um, improved quite a bit, but still fell short of the playoffs. Like that's a huge step forward for this franchise, obviously. Like I thought last year's Kings was, was a, was a good thing for Sacramento considering they, you know, hadn't made the playoffs in 13, 14 years. Um, if they are, you know, if the Suns are, you know, not in the bottom 10 on, on either end of the floor by the end of this, at the end of the season, right now they're top 10 in both ends, which is pretty remarkable. But if, even if they're just decent, you know, on both ends of the floor, uh, when it comes to the full season, that's a huge, huge step forward. So I'm going to have to scroll down to the bottom every week now to look at the Warriors, (laughs) which is a strange feeling, Shu, after five years of them being at or near the top every week on the power. Range. This, I mean, we knew it was going to be rough when, when, when you lose KD and Sean Livingston retires and Kelly Thompson is out and Andre Iguodala is traded. Like we knew it was going to be a rough year. Then, then they have all of the issues that, you know, get compounded onto that to start this season. Um, I'm, I'm not going to believe that Eric Pascal can, can be the savior of Warriors basketball this season. You know, that, that pop he's gonna, that he He's going to be in the scouting report he now. Goes he goes off. Yeah, he's going to yes, be in the scouting yes. report now. And so it'll be interesting to see how um, how things go now that he's going to be near the top of the scouting report going forward. Yeah. I mean, this is just – I mean, but what a brutal reality it is for a, a team and a franchise that's been as good as they've been the past five years. Like, this. How do you like? How do you evaluate them, knowing all that they've lost within the you know the, the context of what they're dealing with? And then you look at this team's performance this season. They 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 shouldn't be any better than this, should they? No, no. I mean, and and give them credit for a, a, an impressive win in in uh, over Portland the other night. But um, I mean, I guess the, the good news is that uh, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green. Uh, come this time next year are going to be fresher than they've ever been or as fresh as they've been in the last five years. Um, although uh, a torn ACL is not something to just think, oh, great, he gets a, a year, you know, he gets a year off and he'll be fine going forward. No, like that's obviously a major injury, but the hand and finger injuries obviously are, are easy to sort of uh, deal with uh, long term. Um, the bad news, I think, is that you're not getting the uh, time to see a Curry and D'Angelo Russell backcourt and the time to see if those two guys can coexist and if, um, and if that's sustainable going forward, if you want to keep Russell um, going forward, if, or if you want, if obviously if he's a, he's, he's more of a, a trade asset in your mind, if you're Golden State, the good news is all the other good news. Is, I mean, you got time, you know, obviously the, the summer wiped them out as far as, and so now you have um, 82 games to to play all these young guys, a bunch of guys that are just 22 years old. 
and determine which of them uh, is going to be a rotation player next year. I mean, they have there's no no um, having to force anybody minutes because the minutes are there. Yeah, this you always have a good breakdown before we even get into the rankings of uh, you, you know teams to watch and what to look out for um, coming up. And I love the the East West update every week. You know that, that's something that at least you can keep an eyeball on. But I'm I'm looking at a Miami team shoe that I want to believe is legit. Um, but are, are we going to find out for sure in these next few weeks exactly? what what they're capable of with the schedule they have and kind of where they're going? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, um, you know, you could look at that big win over Houston at home on Sunday as, okay, Houston had a Saturday night in Miami, obviously, and, and then the previous two wins were with Jimmy Butler were over Atlanta with Trey Young sort of getting hurt in the first two first of those two games and not playing the second. Um but they do have a, a big, you know, a, a comeback win over Milwaukee. Um, and so, you know, I think we take them seriously and we see the potential there um, just because they are a deep and, and, and relatively talented team in the Eastern Conference. But, yeah, this trip is going to tell us a lot. You know, they already lost uh, in Denver by 20 points. They play uh, at Phoenix Thursday at the Lakers on Friday. Um and so that, and, and, you know, there's a, uh, a Philly game coming, uh, right. I think right before Thanksgiving. Um, so, you know, it'll be, uh, fascinating to see. I, I mean, if it is with the whole league, like, I don't think there's anybody that we know who they are right now, you know, after, even after three weeks, excuse the uh, construction noise in the background. Um, so <laughs> I think, you know, like, we gotta. I mean, with everybody, you know, every game is a is a data point in the in the words of the man Sam Hankey, and it's just let's just absorb right. you know absorb a couple more weeks um, before we make serious judgments about this team. But obviously, my, uh, Miami off to a uh, five and two start is promising, um, and you know you can put them sort of in that mix for the three, four, five seeds in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you, since you are the, the father of the league pass alert, who, who has caught your eye so far um, on league pass? Who's been who's been that team under the radar team you've been watching that might not be on, on the TNT games or might not make, you know, the, the Wednesday night doubleheader on ESPN, but, but has piqued your interest? Well, Phoenix for one, obviously, um, and then that's a good question. Beyond that, um, I think Dallas is fun. You know, Luka Doncic is uh, obviously a, a heck of a player. Seems to have taken a step forward. Porzingis is off to a little bit of a slow start shooting wise, but um, his ability to just launch from you know twenty eight feet at his height is just kind of amazing. <laughs> Um, and I just like yeah. a lot of players on that roster. You know, we've talked about, I think earlier this, this year, I, I like Jalen Brunson a lot. Like, I just like that, the way that guy plays, um, just seems like a really competent, um, backup guard, um, especially just, you know, starting his, this, his second year in the league. Um, he's, he's fun to watch. And, you know, beyond that, um, you know, Memphis, Memphis has some some fun in with uh with with John Morant although they are obviously on the on the bottom end of the standings right now and then you know we wait we await the uh return of Zion as far as uh league passes Yeah I I don't know I, the the more days we spend without Zion the, the weirder it is for me um I feel like he's going to have such an uphill climb in, in the rookie of the year, Chase said, you know, it's almost going to be like he, he he puts himself out of contention by by missing this much time early on. And a guy like John Morant and some of these other guys playing as well as they have. Um, I I don't know if if I'm convinced either. And you mentioned Porzingis. I was watching that Lakers Mavericks game on a giant screen. I you know I was on game time earlier that night, and then I left and I went. And, and was having dinner with my wife and a bunch of her friends for her birthday. And I don't know why they picked a play shoe with a 300 foot screen TV in the basketball game. I was, I was the worst late arriving party guest in the history of party guests, but I, I was watching Porzingis 
and and AD matchup, and I was and I texted you, and I was and I meant it. That to me, that would be one of the more intriguing playoff matchups, if only because we get to see LeBron and Doncic matchup and AD and Porzingis matchup. Which you you look at the physical matchups and a you know you think well who could who could limit AD who could bother him offensively or make him you know have to play in uncomfortable spaces Porzingis is one of the few guys with the length to do that um and the same goes for LeBron and and, and Doncic um are, are you looking at some of these early season crumbs from these teams that may or may not get into the playoff mix and thinking about that just about what would be the difficulty of dealing with these guys who haven't been in the playoffs? We haven't seen them in a playoff atmosphere. Um, what would be the difficult thing for teams to deal with them if they were to get in? I think about that in relation to a team like the Bucks, and that's how I was looking at them early last season when Giannis was going off. Just like, man, what would be their playoff structure that could cause people some problems? Yeah, the other thing with Dallas, though, is that their bench is still really good. Like, they're, I mean, it's it's been the case for last two years basically their their bench has been really really good um and i still think it is um and so but depth is less of a factor in the playoffs with with them and even though they have these two talented guys to make their starting lineup better they're still getting outscored with with Doncic and Porzingis on the floor so i feel like um they are uh they can be a really good regular season team with their depth um, I worry about them a little bit in the playoffs. And I think the, the point you made, like uh, matching up with the Lakers would be, um, would be difficult for them. Uh, although that was a, a fantastic game the other night. Um, and I just think like, yeah, I mean, even with a lot of these Western conference teams, you have to look at, all right, who is their, who is their big wing that can guard LeBron, who can guard Kawhi Leonard, um, who can guard James Harden, um, and we saw it with the Spurs uh, the other day. You know, they played, they matched, they played, they lost to both the Clippers and the Lakers, and they didn't really have the defender to as good as they are uh, to to um, to match up with those guys. They have two great backcourt defenders in, in Murray and White, um, but there was a late game possession against the Clippers where uh, Kawhi Leonard got the ball at the elbow, basically, uh, and Derek White was guarding him. And the Spurs immediately sent a second defender, and then he passed it to Montrez Harrell, who got an and one under the basket. And it just made you think, well, they don't have somebody to guard him one on one. And then you just got to basically look up and down the the standings and say, okay, who's going to guard um, Kawhi Leonard in a playoff series or LeBron in a playoff series? Um, and it makes you wonder. All right, where is Andre Iguodala going to be uh, come? <laughs> come March 1st or February 15th or whatever is after, after the trade deadline, um, you know, and maybe it's a good thing that he's getting some time off to, to rest up uh, his old legs and, and make sure that um, he's ready to go for whatever team he's playing for uh, come March and April. Yeah. It's going to, it makes us just some fascinating watch uh, watches early in the year. Um, and I found myself watching strangely, you know, you watch games early in the season, shoe, and they're usually not as intense as some of these games. It seems like the Lakers have played that. You know, they played seven games or whatever, but like three or four of them have been played at a playoff pitch to me almost, um, which is kind of strange this early in the season. Um, I don't know if it's them trying to find their their measure and, and really see they, what they they're made to, of and see where they, you know. They need to do that, though. I think I think you got to. You can't just cruise through the regular season when you have an unknown, like you know, a, a brand new roster. Basically, I mean, it's not brand totally brand new, but like there's so many. You know, the 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 crux of who they are is totally different than it was a year ago. You can't just. I mean, LeBron in his last years in Cleveland was able to cruise um, through the regular season and know that. He'll be, you know, know what he can do, especially against the Eastern Conference in the playoffs. Um, this is a different, totally different story. They can't sort of just cruise. They've got to figure out um, who they are, and the best way to do that is to actually play play games with like like they're important. Um, and it, I, I'm glad to see that. And I think a lot of teams have to do that because there's just been so much player movement over the summer that every team is brand new. I mean, even the Bucks is as. Um, 
as uh, as much as they brought back, they they still uh, lost a, a key part of their rotation, and so um, everybody is brand new basically, except for the Nuggets. Uh, and and Denver still has to sort of reestablish itself as as uh, as the team it wants to be. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Just curious to 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 see how this stuff works itself out over the, in the coming weeks. And you know, you know, I always say I poke my head up at Christmas to take a hard look at the league and see where everybody stands. I'm, I'll be curious to see where teams like Phoenix and and some of these other teams having kind of these upstarts, you know, moments here early on, if they're still doing that by then, or if we settle into a kind of a different vibe by then. Um, appreciate you, man, as always. Uh, thanks for, thanks for taking the time, but also thanks for responding to my, my foolish texts late at night during games. Um, not everybody would do that. So appreciate you. <laughs> you only get me late at night every once in a while. I have, I have, I have sort of punted on some late night games to watch them the following morning uh, quite a bit already this season. So, um, but you know, you've got to watch them at some point, but yes, the late game, uh, late games are, are less of a uh, priority for me as they, than they have been in the past. Maybe I'm just getting old. Yeah. Hey, aren't we all appreciate it. John Schumann, NBA.com joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. I'll talk to you, Schumann. All righty. As always, we got to give thanks to our guests for taking the time out. Tim Hardaway Sr., I guess we should call him, um, with Tim Hardaway Jr. playing in the league for the Dallas Mavericks. Appreciate him taking some time out of his schedule to come on and join us. As always, my main man, John Schumann, breaking it down for us, bringing the knowledge. Check out his power rankings and everything else on NBA.com. The Kia Race to the MVP ladder kicks off for the first time this week as well. Check that out Fridays on NBA.com. And for everybody here at the Hangtime Podcast, Seku Smith, we'll see you right here next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to Seku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. Hoops fans.